Welcome to the Civil Squared Podcast, where we explore civil discourse and the free exchange of ideas. And now your host of the show, Dr. Jennifer K. Thompson. Hi there, and thanks for joining us today. We have a conversation coming up with somebody who I think is fascinating, accomplished, and really, really interesting to talk to. That's true of most of our guests, actually, but I'm a little bit um, of a fangirl of our guest today, Shoshana Weissman. She is the Senior Manager of Digital Media and Communications at the R Street Institute. And if you're not familiar with the R Street Institute, they are based in Washington, D.C. And they're, I mean, they're effectively a think tank. They uh, use public policy research and outreach to promote free markets and limited effective government. So Shoshana manages their social media, their email marketing. She's really successful at it. Uh, She is also successful at managing her own social media. If you follow her, she has tens of thousands of followers and is very engaging and very entertaining. Uh, But in addition to that work, Shoshana is also a fellow at R Street, where she writes on occupational licensing reform, social media regulatory policy, uh, Section 230, and other things. And her work's been published in the Wall Street Journal, USA Today, uh, and a variety of other places. She's really, really interesting and really competent in both working in and thinking about technology and the internet and how we communicate. So we wanted to talk to her about Section 230, which has been in the news quite a bit uh, in the last year, and particularly in the last, say, six months or so. And that's what our conversation will be about today. But if you don't know about Section 230, you're in luck because she's going to talk about it. And she's going to talk about why it's important and why it's relevant to all of us as people who use the internet, and give us a little clarity on why people on both the right and the left seem to be highly critical of it, and why we should all be concerned about changing Section 230. I hope you enjoy our conversation. recent months and probably in the last year, there's been all kinds of stuff about Section 230. Um, And it just had its birthday, right? Or its anniversary last week, I think, um, as part of the 1996 Communications Decency Act. This is one of those rare things, it seems to me, that conservatives and liberals seem to be able to agree on, right? That, um, you know, Joe Biden apparently has said that he wanted to revoke it uh, and Donald Trump refused to sign the defense spending bill unless there was um, some change or termination of Section 230. And we know that there are different senators who are on both sides of the aisle against it. So personally, anytime a bunch of different politicians on different sides agree about something, it makes me nervous. Let's talk about first, what is Section 230? And um, let's talk about why it is something that both parties seem to be in agreement they don't really like. Yeah, definitely. So Section 230 is super simple. All it says is that users are liable for their own content and the places where they post the things are not liable. So um, I, I like to use a couple of examples so people can really get a good handle on it. If I post something that's illegal um, in some way on Twitter, I'm liable for it. If Twitter posts a comment on Facebook, Twitter is still liable because Twitter is the speaker. Um, and if um, 
if Facebook comments on the New York Times uh, op-ed in the comments section, Facebook is liable. So the speaker remains liable, just like in everywhere else in life. That, that part's consistent. But yeah. before Section 230, people would try to sue the platforms. Um, and one of the famous cases was basically like the Wolf of Wall Street, uh, literally. It, it was crazy to me because I didn't even know this until uh, um, last year. But um, there's this famous prodigy case. And what happened was someone said something awful about how the, the guy who's the Wolf of Wall Street um, was basically a scammer and how um, it, it's a scam. Um, and they, the, the Wolf of Wall Street sued Prodigy, Prodigy and the guy. Um, and they said, well, you know, Prodigy should take down the comments because they moderate. And the judge said, yeah, they moderate comments um, so they, they can be liable for it. So the, the case ended pretty um, on a chill level. Like they just wanted the comments off. They weren't suing for money. But that shows you what, what the internet is without um, 230. It's a heckler's veto. Um, even if the person's right, and they were right that like Stratton Oakmont, the firm, you know, was a scam and, and crony, um, but it becomes a heckler's veto without it. So if someone doesn't like content, they can just say, hey, we'll sue you. And then the, the place is just going to be like, well, we might as well remove it. Um, and because of that liability, it, it turns into something that we call the moderator's dilemma. Um, and that's basically if um, if you don't moderate anything online on your platform, um, you'll probably have a low chance of having liability. Like you won't really be liable because courts assume they have, you, you know, you haven't seen whatever it is that you could be liable for. But if you moderate, you're assumed to know, um, therefore you're liable for everything. And millions and millions of comments are posted everywhere, like from Twitter, there's millions, um, Facebook, there's millions on smaller platforms, there's fewer, but it's still, um, you know, there's a reason that stuff goes to court because judges are the ones who need to figure out if something's liable. Um, you know, this stuff isn't always easy to figure out and holding moderators accountable to that intense standard or else they'll be sued or maybe they'll just be sued even if it's true um, because of the heckler's veto we have, it, it just destroys free speech online. So um, it, especially as a libertarian, it's uncommon. I really love a law, but uh, Section 230 yeah. has definitely become one that I've fallen deeply in love with. Okay, so let's let's back up just a little bit from where we are today in terms of the debate over Section 230 and talk about kind of uh, maybe the intentions, but also the history of it, right? So if it was put, it was signed into law as part of the Decency Act, right? This is like 1996, and so it's, it's Clinton signing it into law. First of all, uh, I mean, I remember 1996 somewhat vaguely, um, but I don't remember massive use of the internet at the time, right? Like if, if, if it had been, if it was being widely used, it certainly wasn't anything like it is today. And, and um, it's, it's um, Jeff Kossoff, who I follow on Twitter, who wrote this book about the 26 words that created the internet, referring specifically to 230. And I mentioned that because everywhere I see on Twitter when he talks about it, people use it without giving him like, you know, credit for it. I want to make sure. I doubt he's listening. But if he is, give us a holler. Um, what was the thinking behind it in 1996? I mean, like, it, there wasn't Facebook in 1996. And I realize it affects more than Facebook. But what was the thinking behind it? And how does it translate into something that created the internet? For sure. So I love Jeff too. He's hilarious on Twitter. He walks a fine line between just being a nerdy scholar and having fun with it. I'm a big fan. But um, 
Back in 96, uh, Wyden, um, uh, Senator Ron Wyden of Oregon, who's still a senator now, and former Republican representative Chris Cox, uh, they kind of became friends. They're like, hey, let's see what bipartisan things we can do together. And not um, to, to their credit, it's not in the way that it's like, oh my gosh, no, it's bipartisan. Everyone has it wrong. But right. oh, yay, like they just want to try to do things to solve actual problems. And that's that's the kind of bipartisanship I like that I don't see enough, um, nearly enough of. But uh, they they were looking at the Stratton Oakmont case and they saw this is insane. You know, um, if the if this platform hadn't tried to keep their um, their platform family friendly, then they wouldn't have been held accountable and they're punished for moderating um, with liability. So that was basically one of the big impetuses of them creating Section 230. And a lot of people say, oh, well, the internet was different back then. And, and it certainly was, you know, way less use. But the principles are really, really timeless. Um, and it's it had a foresight that I don't think many laws have. I'm so often advocating for um, a revision of laws to, to update it for the 21st century, but this is one of those really good ones. And again, I'm a libertarian, so it's not often I'm saying this, but um, but basically just making sure that each speaker remains liable and that the um, the, the place where they put the comments doesn't. Back then there was much less usage. So even though there were fewer comments, moderation is still hard. I, I think people underestimate that. Um, you know, back then, uh, uh, Prodigy, which was the platform on which the guy posted, um, it had no way of knowing whether or not that statement was true. And in the same way, um, today, Facebook can see, you know, millions of, of comments and posts. It has no way of knowing if, if something's true, if there's an illegal piece of content in there. And, and they do try to moderate. They try very hard to get rid of terrorism, um, um, uh, child exploitative content, um, all kinds of really bad things. And they're fighting this. Um, surely other stuff gets ca caught up in it because moderation is hard. But um, one example I always like to share is that um, I I've been in digital media for over 10 years. And um, years ago, I worked for a guy running for governor. And I remember um, someone commented on one of his uh, posts, and it was just really aggressive, lots of swear words. And I'm like, no, I don't want this here. This could be like, you know, just it, it doesn't look good to a guy running for governor. Um, so I deleted it and I banned the guy. And then um, one of my colleagues comes into the room and they're like, hey, look, I, I get why you banned him. He can be very salty, but he's actually a big supporter. There's no way I would have known that from his post. I just saw a really aggressive anti or candidate post, but I didn't realize it was a supporter. And if that's me inside a campaign, not being able to tell the difference, how the heck is, you know, every moderator going to get every decision right all the time? It's just not going to happen. You know, there's an there's a reason illegal content goes before courts and you know you don't know if someone's harassing or joking um even yesterday um someone posted about crackers like just you know like the crackers you eat and twitter thought it was a slur so it oh. um it, it uh restricted the use of you know yep. that tweet and said hey click here to see sensitive content but it, it's just hard and they're trying they're really trying because there is a big problem with the anti-semitism online and racism and all these things and they're trying but it's it's never going to be perfect. Um, and then smaller platforms just don't have the resources to do yeah. that kind of moderation. So you have this problem where no matter where someone's situated, it's just there's never enough resources. So they're doing the best they can and they're improving for sure. Um, I think a lot of platforms are kind of finding the best way for them to work, but it's still an uphill battle and no one's ever going to be happy with it. Yeah. So, I mean, this makes sense to me. And so back in 1996, someone says, look, I, I see that the internet is different than other things, right? So there's a different way you have to think about than this than if I'm the editor of a paper who's getting, um, a, a you know, conventionally a paper, um, who's getting letters from the editor, right? I mean, if I, if I'm 
publishing a newspaper and I get content uh, letters from the editor, I can go, I'm going through all that before I'm going to publish it. Um, and even if I get it at high volume, I still have to put my eyes on it and everything else before it goes out there before the internet. But even in 1996, you're saying there was a recognition that the internet is different, right? Than, exactly. than a conventional paper. And we need different, we need different rules or different laws about it. Otherwise it will stifle people's ability to use this new tool. Exactly. And honestly, Wyden and Cox's foresight is something that I've come to really appreciate mm -hmm. over the past few years as I've been in this issue. I, you know, a lot of the regulations I fight are like occupational licensing for hair braiders and florists and fighting, you know, regulations that don't make sense. And there's, there's some good bipartisanship there too. Biden's also for licensing reform, which is encouraging. Um, but it's, you know, um, it, it's interesting to watch a, a, a law age so well and then be attacked because it's imperfect, but there's, there's no law that can do the things that people want it to do. It can't moderate in the perfect way. Um, you know, a lot of people who want less moderation will often start out by saying, well, um, well, why don't they just get rid of illegal content? But the problem there is that goes before courts and there's no perfect way. So even if they were able to somehow magically get rid of illegal content, um, someone could say, hey, that actually wasn't illegal. Therefore, now I can sue you. And it, it opens up these legal floodgates, even modest changes saying, well, you can moderate um, illegal content, but not this other content. That's still a really big problem because um, they might uh, get rid of something that they think is illegal on their platform. And then um, someone says, well, that actually wasn't. So then the legal floodgates are open. They lose their 230 protection mm -hmm. there. Um, and just creates enormous costs. And I don't think Facebook or Twitter, I don't think they do a perfect job. I think that there's a lot more work for them to, to do. And to their credit, they, they're fighting a hard battle. Um, that said, I think other platforms can make the difference. Uh, MeWe is a new upstart um, that's like really focused on privacy. I think it's an interesting concept. I was a little skeptical at first, but the way they've kind of handled getting more attention and in the public, being in the public sphere has impressed me. And their founder had an op-ed in the um, Wall Street Journal saying, hey, we need 230 without it there's no one who's going to be mm. able to compete against these bigger platforms who have the resources if necessary to litigate in certain cases to make things work there's already been buy-in no one's going to buy into a smaller platform that's just not able to moderate and full of awful content okay so this is i mean this is really good because i think and i do want to talk about how it affects businesses outside of social media as well on the internet but let's let's stick here for a minute because what what um this is is saying about kind of a startup that wants to provide competition to Facebook or to Twitter or something like that, is that if you get rid of 230, right, this protection that says somebody else is going to come on your platform and post it, but you're not liable for that. Um, it, it gets rid of what you described as a moderator's dilemma, because there's no more dilemma anymore. It says, this platform has to do all the moderation and Facebook has all kinds of algorithms. I mean, for instance, our Facebook account, I know when we set it up, the people we were working with um, gave us just a, a spreadsheet of just tons and tons of words that we upload and any comments that have those words automatically get hidden, right? I learned a lot of words, by the way. I, I thought I knew all the bad <laughs> words. I did not know all the bad words. But Facebook's got that tool. And part of that is because Facebook has this massive head start on everybody else in terms of having the platform, having the platform at that kind of level of use, having the ability to make tools that will help with moderation, even if it's not perfect. 
somebody else comes along and says, I want to provide an alternative because somebody's not happy with Facebook, they're going to have to go through every comment, everything moderate to make sure that there's nothing out there that's going to get them in trouble because now they're liable for it if 230 is gone, right? Exactly. Um, okay. So when we think about all the people politically who are un- unhappy with 230 and either changes or getting rid of it, talk me through like, okay, um, I know one of the objections is, and again, we're, we're talking so much about here about social media, because that seems to be the place where it's an issue. But I definitely do later want to talk about other businesses that it affects. But somebody says, look, conservatives are getting censored on social media. So we have to change 230. What's the argument behind that? Like, what, what is the person who's saying it's, you know, the social media is unfair or is censoring conservatives, therefore 230 has to be changed or has to go, how, do, how does that person explain why that's what we need to do? So there's one big issue there because their problem is with the First Amendment, not with Section 230. 230 only addresses liability. The First Amendment allows moderation in ways people see fit Um, and and causing someone to be uh, be liable for lots of content that they never posted just because they're biased is not an an appropriate solution. That's still very heavy handed. And also remember the person who's going to be deciding um, what neutral is, is the government. And do you think the government's going to be kind or unkind to, uh, you know, to anti-government posts, which is a real risk. So so that's one big thing to consider there. I think a lot of people think that 230 is the thing that um, allows, um, you know, that that allows content moderation, but all it does is allow people not to be liable for it in court. Um, So I I think people kind of mess up on that. And um, sometimes they just want to take the hammer to it. They're like, well, you know, screw Facebook. I don't like the way they moderate and they're biased. Therefore, whatever, you know, just take away the thing that protects them. But what that person is forgetting is you're killing competition. You're not killing Facebook. Facebook's going to be less pleasant without it. And so will Twitter and any other platform, but uh, you're killing its competitors. So if you don't like these Mm. platforms, you should want 230 so that me we can get better a lot of people made a big deal out of parlor but they were not moderating it was a really big issue and it caused lots of bad stuff on their platform um moderation is always necessary in varying ways to varying degrees like it's it's always a thing that's going to be needed because if not it turns into 4chan which is like a mess it's just a mess and they even moderate which i only recently found out i didn't think they did um but it's you know every platform is going to want to moderate in different ways and and that person you know i think there is some anti-conservative bias but i don't think it manifests in the way people think um for example like a lot of people like i have liberal friends who are banned from facebook all the time for being inflammatory and then they're in Facebook jail you know constantly yeah Yeah, part of the problem is people don't talk to each other so liberals and conservatives don't share their stories of hey Facebook was ridiculous and banned me for this or hey Twitter is ridiculous um some of the concerns are also just not correct like uh during hearings where um one congressman was like why do my emails always go to spam and it's like well you're sending spammy emails and that's like you need to talk to your consultants um not to say that every issue is overblown because I think that you know Silicon Valley employs more liberals than conservatives by far, which is not in itself bad, but it it does lead to some inherent biases, which I think can pop up. But without 230, that gets worse. It becomes more Mm. of a problem because, you know, let's say they don't moderate any content um, in the moderator's dilemma, then your voice is drowned out and people like me and many others won't be able to have that voice online. Um, But if they do moderate and aggressively so to make sure that the only things allowed through are just so 
um, you know, they, they wouldn't ever be scared about being liable for them. They're going to be more open to liberal than conservative content, not even out of malice, but because they're more comfortable with it. If, if there's um, kind of a weird or, or a deeper argument on the liberal side, the liberal moderator will look at it and say, okay, like, I know what that's talking about. That makes sense to me. I'm not worried. But if, if a conservative makes one on the conservative side, they're going to be less comfortable with it. No, they'll understand it less and they'll probably err against it um, because they could be liable for it and they don't know if it's legitimate or not. So there are real inherent biases that I think um, are issues and it's something that we should like fix, but I don't think we want government determining neutrality. So I think that the people with a gripe have somewhat of an understandable gripe, just often overblown um, and often just like they don't understand the whole issue. And it, it's it's fair because it, it's a deep issue. It's like I spend lots and lots of hours working on this. And that's why I try to communicate it to people because it's not something you can just go like Google for a second and be like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So that's the censorship piece. And that is, um, as you say, that is not about 230. That's a, that's a, a different issue. That's not about moderation. That's about what people can and can't say, which I think would cover the other side of it, which is somebody needs to get in there and censor things on the internet. Cause there's a lot of bad stuff happening, right? There's hate speech and everything else. That's a little less about the free speech piece of it than it is about, we could compel these platforms to do more moderation and to moderate in such a way that the hate speech goes away and everything. But, but what you're saying is, one, um, somebody's got to set the rules for what the moderation entails. And either it's going to be the government or it's going to be these private actors. And you might not like what the private actors are doing, but the alternative, having the government regulate it, is less appealing. Um, and to that, okay, so if, uh, so that all makes sense to me, but if I'm somebody who says, boy, I really hate what's going on on Facebook, or I really hate what's going on on Twitter. I hate seeing people get bullied. I hate people. I hate seeing, as you said, you know, anti-Semitism, racism, those kinds of things. Why can't we force these platforms to do some kind of censorship because in all kinds of other places we expect people to do something they don't allow that why is this different so um the first part is even though it's all bad speech it's all legal speech that you mentioned so the government can't do that to legal speech even though it's again abhorrent like i deal with anti-semitism regularly but that said these platforms are working really hard on it and i think they're in a harder place than a lot of people realize like for example i talked with one major platform over the past few years and one thing they told me that really opened my eyes i was honestly a little bit harder on them before this but i started to realize the depth of the issue um there were cases where there's dangerous content online and like figure terrorism, just for instance. Um, and one government agency would say, hey, we see this, this is dangerous, take it down immediately. Then another agency of government at the same time would say, hey, keep this up, we're monitoring this. So government doesn't even know what it wants from these platforms all the time on one hand. Um, on another hand, there's, you know, there's lots of abhorrent content. And I do worry about pushing it deeper out of sight because it doesn't get rid of it. It just hides it. Not to say it's good, of course, but just I, I worry about that, like where anti-Semitism yeah. goes away, where it's going. Um, but uh, Twitter's, be, 
in particular has been just, I've, I've watched how they've been able to get rid of certain content better and faster. Um, part of it is when I report anti-Semitism, they take care of it very quickly. There's less of it. There's less racism that I see. And even um, I have I get lots of DMs from uh, spammers, often romance scammers or, or things along those lines, Bitcoin scammers. For a while, I would try to mess with them and annoy them just to kind of see what they wanted. If they were looking for my credit card info, if it was a romance scam, what it was. And then um, I would eventually tell them to call me and I would give them the FTC scam hotline. Um, so it was a little fun. I had to make up crazy stories, but I actually get so few of them now that I never get to do that anymore because they're catching these people really mm -hmm. fast. Um, there are certain ways to catch it, but it's, um, you know, for instance, with the scammers, one way that I always knew it was, you know, going to be a scammer was low followers, new uh, account yeah, with yeah. random pictures, and they would always start with, hello, my dear. And it was always bizarre, but... Um, you know, it, sometimes normal people are going to say, hey, my dear, or hello, my dear. So like Twitter couldn't differentiate between that, but somehow they found a way to, to really get at that and do it, which is impressive, but it, it's always an uphill battle. Even, um, you know, child exploitative content. One thing that I, I started thinking about the issue more because, um, a few years ago, I was doing brand monitoring for someone um, who just had a pretty generic name. And because he was so high profile, I still wanted to do my best. So I had his name and I would find lots of unrelated content oftentimes. And then I started realizing that there that there were pictures that like I realized were not meant to be cute little kids. Um, and I realized the way they were getting through sensors was that um, the, the account would post like a picture of a tree and a picture of a beach, and then it would be that picture. Um, and I realized that they're getting through because it seems innocuous. There's no real way you could tell. Um, and yeah. it's it's a, an uphill battle because, you know, every time they knock out a new way for these people to, to do bad things online, they'll find another way. And it, it, it's kind of just like with cybersecurity, it's just always this uphill battle. It's one that I'm obviously glad they're fighting and it's important to, and they always need to do better because they're always going to have to be fighting it. But, um, but it, it's, um, I think a lot of people don't think they're doing anything while that's not the case at all and um I, there there's just so many different components to it where it's like I, 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 you also just can't force a, a, a platform to perfectly moderate all this stuff there again yeah. millions of posts they're always going to miss something and holding them liable or in violation of 230 for it is just it's crazy. It's not going to lead us to a better internet. It's not going to allow the innovators to innovate and find better ways to solve these problems. Yeah. I mean, this reminds me of, um, Oh, years ago, there was an onion, um, piece. It's a satirical thing, but you can, you can imagine why it's funny. Right. Which is, you know, the FAA gets rid of terrorism by keeping people from flying on planes. Right. Like we could get right, rid right. of, we could get rid of all the bad things on, the internet, the best way to do that would not be to have an internet anymore, right? Not to have people, um, or the most efficient, the most efficient way, not the best way, but the most efficient way would be to just stop people using the internet. And we're not clearly going to do that, right? So as long as the internet's out there, there are these platforms out there, um, people are allowed to use the internet, there are going to be problems on the internet. The internet didn't create child exploitation. It may make it easier, right? Um, or it may, <clears throat> excuse me, it may help uh, people who want to get away with bad things, get away with bad things in new ways. But the solution to that can't be, just practically speaking, it can't be that we shut down the internet. And it can't be that, um, or it could be that we hold the people who have 
the ways of using the internet for that accountable if they're using those platforms. But they're, the people who want to do bad things are going to find new ways to do those bad things. And if it's not on Facebook or wherever, or Twitter or wherever, it could be on something else. And we can't keep ahead of that, right? Exactly. And it's important to always try to, you know, to, to always put resources towards doing better there, getting ahead of it. But um, it, it's never, you know, we're always going to be chasing this issue. And I hope one day we find like some panacea, but yeah. until we do, um, it, it's part of the chase. And I think that's why it's just not right to hold platforms accountable. One, it's just, they're, they're fighting it. It's not like they're not doing anything. They're trying. Um, they need to be trying harder, but they always need to be trying harder. And um, if we if we crack down on them in the ways that a lot of government is talking about, they won't be able to fight it. Um, it'll be harder for them. And like you're saying, it'll be closer to like shutting down the internet instead of like, you know, uh, actually solving the problem. Um, one thing on the um, on the side of people who want more moderation, a lot of times they have takedown clauses like, oh, well, within 24 hours, if you're notified about this, you must take whatever it is down um, if it's illegal. But one, that's not a very long period of time for smaller platforms um, who might not have a moderator. Maybe it's one guy running a forum. And even on the larger side, again, millions of pieces of content. Someone could call in a false one. And even if you make it a crime to call in a false one, there's ways to get around that. There's ways to create fake phone numbers and you know stuff like that. It's, it, it's a really tough thing and it's not gonna be a quick pen stroke that solves it. I, I think there needs to be more public-private partnerships on this. Hmm. Like um, I always forget the, the you know, what it stands for, but like NCMEC is one of the famous ones that um, is a database of like child exploitative content so that it can be hashed, basically matched photos and faces so that those children can be found online, sometimes, you know, brought back to like government so that they can protect them. In other cases, at the very least, just so they can find um, other uses of those exploitative uh, pieces of content and remove them, sue the relevant people, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, I, I think we need to put some more resources there. I had a colleague, she she doesn't work with us any longer, but when she did, she was telling me about it and how important they are and just basically having that database so that we can find these children and, and find the, the people uh, exploiting them is a really good thing to do. And I think we need to encourage more partnership with them, do what we can to work with them more because something like that is going to be a lot more effective than just saying, oh, take this down um, really quick. Um, and, and it's still just drinking out of a fire hose. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we focused a lot on platforms for social media, which is where a lot of people are active and where the, the focus tends to be, I think, um, in, some of these, in some of these discussions about moderation and about restriction and that. But, but talk a little bit about how if, if we got rid of Section 230 and we then, and again, by getting rid of 230, what I understand that to mean is we would hold someone who owns a platform accountable for the moderation of that platform. Like anything that goes on that, they can be liable for whether they produced it or not. So if we got rid of 230, what happens to other business? Like how does this affect other businesses, which in turn affects me as an everyday user of the internet? Oh yeah, I mean, people focus on the big guys and, and not even smaller social media companies, but it affects everyone. Like think about um, if you leave a bad review of a doctor, it's a heckler's veto. All the doctor has to say is that person's lying, I will sue you, fine, we'll take down the bad review. Everyone has good reviews from now on. Um, um, TripAdvisor made this point that basically like, I think they said something like one out of every 20 reviews is fake or, or just not a good or helpful review. 
one out of every 20 on their whole platform, so 5%, they remove 5% of their reviews. That's enormous. Um, so they have to moderate to make it right. Um, and without 230, they'll be sued for moderating and for not doing the things that the businesses want. So if someone has a bad experience, that's gone. Me too could never have happened. Um, people just saying, you know, hey, this guy assaulted me or I, de I dealt with this horrible thing from this person. That wouldn't, you know, the, all the guy has to do is sue Twitter and say, hey, this isn't true. Um, take it down or I'll sue you. Twitter doesn't need a lawsuit. They'll take it down. So yeah. um, victims of all kinds are silenced. Um, one thing I like to talk about too is I have um, at least six, five or six, <laughs> depends how you count, autoimmune diseases. So I'm an autoimmune queen. I have so many things. And everyone who deals with autoimmune issues pretty much has dealt with a doctor who's like, you don't know what you're talking about. You're crazy. Go to hell, whatever. Um, and as silly as it sounds, it's a big problem. But uh, thanks to online forums, I've gotten diagnosis. Like I had looked up uh, years and years ago, um, endometriosis, which I had, and getting sick all the time because I was just having colds constantly. My primary doctor said it was, I was having a bad season. She told me every year. And I'm like, this is not helpful. I looked it up and someone's like, yeah, this is fibromyalgia. Go to a rheumatologist. I did. And I've been treated for fibromyalgia, not getting sick very much for um, over 10 years. The autoimmune community and, and many disease communities struggle with finding solutions, finding things that help, whether it's diet things, maybe things that a doctor wouldn't tell you, but just little things that help. Um, and also they tell you, hey, here's a doctor who won't listen to you. Here's a doctor who will. Um, I found better doctors because of online reviews. So reviews broadly for businesses and services and diseases that are just not cut and clear and many diseases are not. Um, we rely really hard on this, um, let alone employee reviews, um, all that kind of stuff. And then that's not even getting to like Etsy, any online store that kind of aggregates. Etsy could not exist. Um, their people I've been so thankful for have uh, been speaking out about this saying like, like, hey, we support all these, you know, small businesses. Um, we have to cut people who don't uh, go in line with our standards, who post spam or bad stuff online in whatever context. Um, so they need to do a lot of moderation. Anyone that aggregates in that way, and there's, there, it's honestly just endless. Like Stack Overflow is another one of my favorite examples. Mm, yeah. um, I do all kinds of coding, um, not very well and not very much, but when I need to, I go to Stack Overflow to find an answer. Like, hey, my Zapier integration isn't working or this WordPress thing is giving me an issue. Whatever it is, they'll have an answer. And they're actually really, really aggressive with moderating. Um, if you ask something that someone else already asked or you're not very clear or it's an obvious answer and you haven't researched it, they delete it. But that way it becomes a Wikipedia, which also is a 230 platform and we could not have Wikipedia without yeah. 230. Um, and the last example I'll give that is a favorite of mine is all trails. They delete anything that's not trail related. So that way when I'm going into the woods, I know if there have been grizzly sightings recently, or I know if a bridge is out or whatever it is there. So I don't have to worry about that uh, when I'm going into the woods. Um, just so many tools we use, um, whether it's like business communities of professionals and, and hobbyists like like uh, Stack Overflow is to, you know, apps that are designed around something like all trails, um, even Duolingo and they're, um, they have some user content. There's just endless, endless things that, that bring communities together in really helpful ways that without 230, they would be sued. Like they would just be sued left and right or just drowned in awful, awful content. Yeah. So all trails, which is a great example. I love all trails. Um, and it's helped me find my way out of things on occasion. Um, <laughs> all trails, yeah, totally. Like, so all trails without section 230 changes how I say I'm running all trails. I don't want to get sued because of something somebody posts on there. 
do I, I can't get rid of user posting because that's a big part of the business model, right? So what do I do in that situation? I am much more restrictive, right? And I put more of my resources towards it. I'm not sure how big AllTrails is. Figure if they're a much bigger company than I realize, they'll probably just restrict things a lot. They'll review every single thing before it's posted. Um, it just be, they'll be really, really aggressive about it. There will be wait times, lack of information because of it, or they just moderate nothing and there's lots of spam posts, you know, especially if yeah. you've done the, the bigger parks um, there, you often need tickets to go do things. Yeah. And sometimes there's fake tickets posted and they'll go and remove those or other not helpful information, like a political post. I shouldn't be posting that on all trails, yeah. but if they remove that, they're liable for everything else. And it's, it's going to depend on the platform, different um, equations in their minds, what, you know, how they're going to do it. Also definitely size of the company is something to consider. But um, one, one really messed up dynamic that this can create is that all you have to do to kill a platform is just send lots of illegal content onto it from like an anonymous source and then, um, and then make, you know, get them to moderate it and then make sure they don't catch all of it and sue them for the ones yeah. they didn't catch. Yeah. Like it's wild. It's just, it's so bad the incentives it creates, like that's not a better internet. We're not like helping people with that. Well, and it's interesting because as you talk about it, it makes me think this isn't a regulation issue, right? This is more an issue about, I mean, it is obviously the question of whether or not we keep 230 or amend it or whatever else. But um, in a way, what's really at the base of this has to do with uh, how we communicate with one another and the fact that we have this way of communicating with one another that is different than other types of communication, right? So I'm thinking about your example with um, autoimmune uh, and getting information. And I'm thinking of all the different ways that even if I don't think of myself as somebody who's getting a lot of um, advice or direction or things on the internet, how many times a day or how many times a week or a month you go to the internet even like Amazon, right? If I'm looking at a product or something, I'm going to go look at the reviews that people give. Um, what you're describing in the case of your own experience with autoimmune is that if a platform had to worry about its liability for user postings, it's not, it's not so much a question about regulation. It's that that, pl that that platform wouldn't even exist, maybe. I mean, right? There yeah. might not be a way for you to communicate with those people who can give you insight because either the platform has to say, well, I can't let some rando give her advice about her medical condition because exactly. I could get sued out of existence for it, right? Or I have to let every rando get on there and do everything, right? So I'm just not going to run this business. Um, like, what's the value in running? I just, it, to me, it seems like it's kind of a red herring to be talking about 230. Um, and instead, maybe we should be talking about the way we communicate, the fact that that cat is out of the bag, right? I mean, we're not putting it back in and we're not going to go back to the days where we didn't have these platforms, uh, and I think that's really tricky, right? Because as a legislator and, and I'm with you, like I'm not super sympathetic to uh, people regulating and putting a lot of laws in place, but it's something that's protecting what it seems to me is the better, the better solution, which is to have all comers. You were talking about, well, if you moderate something or you stop it, it doesn't go away. Jonathan Rausch makes this point in Kindly Inquisitors, yeah. right? Where he says, look, 
we can stop people from saying terrible things, right? We can stop people from expressing their hate openly. That doesn't mean it doesn't, it doesn't happen. It just means, you know, those people will go underground or those people will get together with other people who agree with them and become more extreme, that sort of thing. If we really are worried about that, we got to put all that out there in the open at some level. Right? Yeah, exactly. Um, on the medical point, I mean, like medical advice. <laughs> Could you imagine taking on liability for other people giving medical advice? And like, I know it sounds crazy. And you know, I want doctor's license. Like, I'm cool with that, even in my licensing report. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, you know, we need every voice because it's it's without that that we've had doctors ignoring patients for so long. Um, I, it took me uh, eight gastroenterologists to get my Crohn's diagnosis, and then one to say, "Hey, I think uh, there's something else going on here too." But to have seven uh, gastroenterologists tell me, oh, you're just crazy, you're lying, you're making it up, you're a, an angsty teenager, to now when I can just go out and find a doctor really easily, know how to make sure they're listening, um, all that, it, it's just, it, it's incredible, all the innovations. And sometimes we need this area where people can just be free to talk about hard and difficult things. Um, so so that's, that's, you know, one point. And, and like with the bad stuff going away, I, it doesn't even mean that we have to allow all that bad stuff on a platform. But I think that it's worth thinking through that these are dilemmas that these platforms are thinking through. Like, they're like, where, where do I draw the line? Should I draw the line? You know, what, what's the balance here? And it, it, it's hard questions. Um, you know, and platforms big and small have to confront them. Uh, Gmail groups to uh, Facebook groups too. It's, it's difficult questions. And we can't expect um, just people who work at Twitter or whatever to solve society or Amazon or, you know, but um, it, it, these are really difficult questions that I think that some legislators and some politicos are just brushing off as simple solves, but they're not. Um, all this stuff has a lot of layers and, and a lot to think through. Um, but at bottom, I just think 230 is a really good law. Like there's other problems we have to fix, but um, 230 is not the, the problem. Yeah, 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 totally. No, I, I, I appreciate that. And I especially appreciate you being willing to say, look, I'm not the kind of person who typically is going to ask for more laws, but I want to be clear that this one does, if, if a law is going to do something valuable, this one does something valuable. Yeah. So, and having said that, I mean, I think one thing I want to at least make sure we've got in here, and I think we've talked about it a little bit, is you are not saying you're unsympathetic to people who have concerns about things that are happening on the internet. You're not saying you're unsympathetic to the idea that there might be censorship going on that is politically biased um, on various social media platforms or in different things like that. You're not saying any of those things, and you're also not tone deaf or or wanting to ignore the fact that somebody could reasonably say, look, I think what's happening on the internet is leading to, you know, disinformation, misinformation, polarization, all of these different things. You hear all that. You're saying this isn't the way we fix that problem. Exactly. People have been looking to 230 to solve everything, like just everything. And it's not, it's not even a problem. Um, but I think there, we just need to think through other ways to solve things. And I don't know if all these things will have policy prescriptions, they might. Um, but there's, there's real issues. And it's just people want to legislate away, like you can legislate away people's biases or people's bad behavior. And it doesn't work like that. Like bad, the, the bad stuff that's illegal is already illegal. Um, it just isn't being done by these platforms, like they're not at fault. Um, and then, you know, all these other issues, it's just, it's it's a society thing. And I think we need to figure out how to make society better, how to improve it, how to talk to each other better. Um, 
you know, people definitely become worse online sometimes, but uh, there have even been studies that show that like, uh, you know, people have been thinking about anonymity as like a target, but there are studies that show that like a lot of times people just not being anonymous are far worse. Like, you know, there's tons of vitriol on Facebook and everyone there has like a real name and oh, it doesn't yeah. solve and their it. pictures next to it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm always um, blown away by that. Same. Yeah. The, the things people are willing to say, but it's, it's, I think everyone's looking for that magic solution. And unfortunately, I think that's a, a I mean, it's not really a product of our age. That would be me being like very conceited of the present to say that. But, um, but I think just people like to have that magic solution and politicians promise it to them. And so do pundits and all that stuff. But it's, it, this is, it, it's about freedom to me, just freedom to experiment, to find a platform that works better, to find better spaces, um, to work things out to, and also to talk about it like yeah go ahead yell at platforms I'm cool with that like yell at them if you think they're wrong but um I just don't think legislation is always the answer sometimes it, it really is talking through seeing where the differences are um talking to who's willing to listen and it's just difficult um but yeah it's I mean I feel awful for certain people like I've seen a lot of harassment I've dealt with quite a bit of it but not anything compared to what a lot of other people have like with really aggressive stalking um most stalking I've had I've just been able to solve by blocking thankfully but um, but people deal with really horrible things online. Um, another example is, is like when there's um, a report that some guy did something terrible, you'll often have people trying to find him and just finding people who look like him and ruining their lives. Like that's really bad too. There's oh, a lot yeah. of behavior we need to, to think about. And I think a lot of, I think we need to just think about the real world consequences of social media more. Um, and I'm sure there could be certain legislative prescriptions for certain things, but I think we're just going so far over the line with like blatantly unconstitutional ideas and just ideas that don't make very much sense. Um, but it, it's not to say I don't have sympathy because I just, you know, you hear stories of like kids being cyber bullied and that stuff just breaks your heart because, you know, kids feel like that's their whole world and they're not wrong to feel that way. Yeah. But um, and the pandemic, I don't think has made it any easier. No. Um, and these are tough questions. I just want all stakeholders involved, you know, big and small, um, all different kinds of businesses, just because so much of it now, like you said, is focused on the big platforms. But they're, to me, honestly, such a small part of the real enormous ecosystem that benefits from this, like that I can go Google my symptoms. Um, and I know people mock doc, uh, Dr. Google, but um, it's a way for me to kind of figure out what kind of doctor should I be seeing for this? Does this relate to one of my diseases that I already have? Or is this something that I need to see an all new kind of doctor for? Um, and I'm really thankful for that, that I'm able to do that. Like I even found gelatin as a supplement for my joints, which has made my life enormously easier, but it's all thanks to online communities in section 230. Um, I never knew how much I would love this law until now, you know, as someone who does digital media regulatory reform and uses it for all kinds of things. But it's, it really is one of those laws where I'm like, wow, this, this one's a good one. <laughs> that's great. No, I think that's great. And I think it's really important to have examples that are, that are positive things that would be affected by this versus only having the examples of the, the things we all agree are bad that we think somehow we're going to fix and we're not going to fix it that way, right? So, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So, okay. We will link in the show notes cause you've done some really good writing on this. You've, Thank you. you've, it's, it's really worth reading. And so we'll link to that in the show notes. Um, I know that some of that writing appears at R street where you work. Uh, but if people want to follow you, well, first of all, I'm just going to give my own uh, shout out for your Twitter, which is 
highly entertaining. And if you want to know about things like Section 230, you want to know about sloths, you want to hear about SpongeBob SquarePants, you want to hear about law, you do an excellent job of getting all those things together. And it's really entertaining. And your Twitter handle is? Thank you so much. It's Senator Shoshana. Yeah, it's awesome. It's awesome. Um, Lots of good stuff. You do a great job of balancing that, which is not surprising because social media is something that you are really focused on, as you said. Where else would you uh, send people if you want them to keep track of what's going on? And is there anything else at R Street or anywhere else you want to give a shout out to? Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, just follow me and follow R Street at RSI. It's really my dream job. I've worked all over, but I've never been happier anywhere. Um, and, and they let me do all kinds of fun stuff like this. Um, you know, they'll be like, yeah, go go take a break in your day to do this. No, but um, follow me and follow all the people I tag. Um, I often tag scholars from R Street and elsewhere who are also doing good work. I like to share other people's good work. Um, and I'm always happy to answer questions too, because, you know, it, 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 policy issues are complex and I want to be here to help. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I had so much fun. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. We will link in the show notes to a number of the things that we discussed, but we'll also put some more of Shoshana's writing up on our website so that you can check it out. And I hope you will, because she's done some great stuff. Obviously, from this conversation, I am taking away a much clearer understanding of what Section 230 is, and I hope that's the same for you. What I think I didn't expect to take away from this conversation, and is something that I'm really going to continue to think about, is the point that Shoshana made about the ways we use the internet and ways that are outside of social media So if we're really focused on things like censorship or we're focused on making sure all voices are heard and all we're thinking about is Twitter and Facebook or big companies like Google, what we might be leaving out of that equation and out of our consideration is that there are a whole lot of different ways we communicate on the internet and a lot of things that we take for granted that we can do on the internet or on various apps like find our way out of the woods or communicate with other people who have a similar medical condition. So when this subject comes up, regulation in Section 230, in discussions that I am a part of in the future, I'm going to be sure that we talk about those things as well. And I'm going to be sure to share relevant information about those things with the people in my life. I hope you will find value out of this too, and we look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Civil Squared Podcast, where we explore civil discourse and the free exchange of ideas. We'll see you next time for another conversation.